I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. We are back in the TARDIS, continuing our 60th anniversary retrospective on Doctor Who. And we have reached the sixth Doctor, Colin Baker. Yep. Colin and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, as I call it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be real. I did not want to do a television episode of The Sixth Doctor. I really wanted to do an audio adventure, but I got overruled. We, we, we are no audio adventures for this retrospective. It'll all have to be television episodes. So you know what we're doing when we get to The Eighth Doctor. Spoilers. <laughs> the era of The Sixth Doctor got a lot of hate. There were a lot of people who did not like the actor, Colin Baker. There were people who did not like the stories. There were people who felt that Doctor Who had passed its prime. We are 22 years into Doctor Who's existence. And there are people who say maybe it's time for it to go away. Maybe Doctor Who has had its time. Especially when we're in a situation where we're in a post-Star Wars world where now everything science fiction related is getting compared to Star Wars. And there was no way on a BBC budget that Doctor Who could do anything like Star Wars. No offense. Yeah, yeah but also this was, you know, we're, we're right into the, you know, Colin Baker... He comes in in 84. Yeah, they ended the last season right after, you know, the, the regeneration of Davidson to Baker was not even the final episode. We still had, they decided to extend that season and have one adventure with Colin Baker. So you, you, you didn't even get any chance to mourn the loss if you were a Fifth Doctor fan, because the very next week, here's Colin Baker's first episode. Yeah, and, I mean, not being old enough or in in Britain enough <laughs> at the time of the regeneration, I don't really, I can't really speak to how that played to the fans or if that was really as much of a hype train as the current ones are, you know. Like I said last time, regenerations now are like this huge event. You know for months that it's coming and you know when it's gonna happen and you who get to have your be, yeah. yeah, who who the next person's gonna be and you get to have all your friends around or go to a actual like movie theater for a fan gathering or something, you know. Um, 
I I have the feeling that if you really liked Peter Davison, and a lot of people did, that there was none of that. It was just like, well, that guy's gone. Here's a new here's a new person. I mean, David Tennant still says that was his doctor, and now that's his father-in-law. Yeah. It was just kind of like, you know, shuffle that guy out of the TARDIS. Here's the, the new guy in the TARDIS is kind of the feeling even when you watch the the repeats now you know when you when you watch the old stuff you just kind of get the feeling that the show itself didn't really care yeah this was interesting because this was the first time they pulled an actor that had been on the show before to be the doctor wouldn't be the last hi peter wouldn't be the last yeah <laughs> Yeah, Peter Capaldi would would be the the next time they would do that. Uh, but the thing is, is that you know Colin Baker had had a a few kind of guest spots. I think more than one. Uh, the one that that really sticks out was Arc of Infinity, where he played Commander Maxwell. And that was a fifth Doctor story. And Baker originally didn't want to play that because he felt that, well, if I'm playing a character in a Doctor Who story, then that means I'm never going to play the Doctor, which was his dream role. And then his agent said, really? You think they're going to have you play the Doctor? Take this role, dude. <laughs> Boy, did that change. Yeah. I mean, keep keep the dream alive. Uh, but I think that that was probably in Capaldi's mind too, but he was just like, hey, you know, at least I get to be on the show. Um, when Colin stepped in, I think they went so far into the the goofiness of the Doctor with the, the look and the the dialogue a bit. They wanted to bring more of the alien back to the Doctor, from my understanding. That during the Davidson era, the Doctor had come, had become uh, too human, and they wanted to make him a little bit more alien. So to have him be a, li a little bit more cold, a little bit more distant, a little bit more erratic with Colin Baker's performance. Which uh, ended up not being very popular. Honestly, they, they didn't like the idea of this cold, uncaring doctor felt it was undoctor-like. Yeah, and as we get into the, the plot of of this, I, I think we'll end up talking more about that. So it's always funny how Baker actually got the role. Because, yeah, he was in, in Arc of Infinity... But it wasn't until, amazingly enough, a wedding. Both Colin Baker and uh, producer, the showrunner, John Nathan Turner, we have mentioned him before, both attended the wedding of a, of a mutual colleague. And it was at this wedding that Nathan Turner kind of noticed Baker had a very uh, commanding presence, an aura. You know, like, you know, he was like the center of attention kind of guy, and he felt... That guy should be my next doctor. No auditions, no discussions with the BBC, no discussions with the script editor, Eric Sayward. 
And that kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. That Nathan Turner had no discussions with anyone associated with the show. Just said, Colin Baker is the new doctor. And Eric Sayward didn't want Colin Baker to be the doctor. Mostly because he had no say-so in who the actor was. But also felt that, the, that, that Baker was wrong for the doctor. And the BBC, again, they're the network airing this show. It's their property, and they're not involved with the casting of the lead of their show. But JNT is going to JNT, apparently. Yeah. And this was also kind of a, a, a shocker for longtime viewers of the BBC, because Colin Baker, no stranger to anyone who was watching the BBC... But he had prominently played villains or villainous characters in his performances on BBC television. So for all of a sudden, for him to play the doctor, the main character, the hero of the story, was sort of a culture shock. I mean, to be honest, that would kind of happen again once we get to the ninth doctor. Yes. You know, because... Every, every time that uh, I had seen, I mean, I think we we talked about that when we had talked about uh, 28 Days Later, you know. Hmm. Um, but that was that was kind of the the turnabout with the casting of the Ninth Doctor is that. The actor had been known mostly for kind of darker roles. But then again, it, it kind of worked because you're coming off that war storyline, which they introduced. Mm-hmm. So it did explain why suddenly there's this darker nature to the doctor, I guess. Mm-hmm. So at, at least in in that sense, you you do have like... Okay, you know, <laughs> nine is a bit is a bit different, and we'll we'll accept that. A lot of PTSD from the war. Yeah. Speaking of, let's talk about the costume, the green shoes, the yellow trousers, the patchwork coat, the little kitty cat little uh, pin on his lapel. Uh, all came from the mind of John Nathan Turner himself. This was the complete opposite of what Colin Baker wanted. Colin Baker wanted sort of a black velvety look to kind of reflect this new darker persona that that Colin Baker wanted to use for the Doctor. Uh, Years later, he would say that if he had his choice, he would choose something very much like Christopher Eccleston's outfit for his incarnation of the Doctor. But he didn't have a say in what he got to wear, which... He is one of the few doctors that that ha- did not have a say. Most doctors had a bit of a say so in what their what their outfit is because you know they're wearing it every day. But uh, Colin didn't get that opportunity, which is is kind of sad. Now they would they would change it for the uh, uh, extended universe. He would uh, I don't know if you ever saw that that light blue coat six doctor. Which is somewhat better. Yeah. I do like the, the blue coat version of, the, of that Doctor more, but 
you get this is you know we get what we get in in, in the TV show. And uh, many have suggested that this was kind of reflective of John Nathan Turner's own personality and fashion sense. Because Nathan Turner was always wearing these very loud and colorful Hawaiian shirts, kind of to make sure that he was the center of attention in any room he was in. And I guess he felt that that was what he wanted to reflect in The Doctor. He's wearing these colorful rainbow outfits to kind of get all eyes on him. Which does reflect with the ego this Doctor has. You know, he's the only doctor to ever look in the mirror and, and say something positive about his look. You know, uh, look at that regal brow. Look at that distinguished chin. I'm gorgeous. Yeah. And every other doctor was like, oh, look at these ears. Oh, look at that nose. Oh, man, I'm short. So it's like, he's the only, you know, this doctor has uh, even more of an ego than the regular doctor would have also at this point there was a lot of public backlash against the doctor for a different reason as parent groups yeah that was not this is not parent groups wasn't just a new thing parent groups were kind of going against the show and the bbc saying that doctor who had gotten too violent now doctor who is an adventure show there is action there is Battles between good and evil. So there's going to be a few fights. But looking at the Sixth Doctor era, you can kind of understand where they're coming from. Especially this episode. This episode was also Doctor Who's commentary, in a way, on the moral panic. So now we get to talk about... The real reason we wanted to talk about this episode. Uh, back then, they had what was called the Video Nasties. So this, yeah. was, this was right at the, the beginning of where videotapes and videotape players were becoming more affordable for families. More and more families were getting the uh, vide videotape players... The reg there were really no regulations on home video back then. So it was kind of the Wild West in video stores. Any studio could release anything that they made on home video, and there was no restrictions. There was no rating system. You would get bloody, gory horror movies or adult movies or whatever, and there was no... No restrictions, no censorship. You can release whatever you want. And that got that moral panic going because, well, we need a system in place to regulate this stuff. And we see, if, you know, as children are watching these violent movies, they're going to become violent themselves. You know, the same things they talk about today. Well, so here's here's what happened in the the UK that didn't really happen in America. Um, we had a very similar, of course, moral panic in America. And we've talked about it before when we talked about the film rating system and how it changed 
in the 80s as well and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in the, the UK, uh, they've done these things through acts of parliament. We've always done rating systems through voluntary acts of the film industry. So it's, there have been congressional hearings over here, but they've more or less led to the Motion Picture Association of America, which is now just the Motion Picture Association, um, putting in various self-regulation standards so that Congress would not pass censorship laws. So that's where we get all our GPG, PG-13, all that stuff. In the UK, it's a bit more strictly regulated and they have um, actual parliamentary um, regulations, but they do have a non-government organization that's called the British Board Film Classification System, okay? So they started out with that classification system much like the U.S. did. Like, we'll regulate ourselves so that you don't pass a law. But <laughs> when videos came out and uh, all the video nasty stuff happened, what, what was going on was when when videos came out, things were being released that had never been brought before the board of film classification. Mm. So you were able to get stuff that was not technically classified under their classification laws and their classification system. So there were all these uncensored videos, and those uncensored videos were the ones that got labeled the video nasties. And they were all these really extreme, mostly Eastern European uh, horror films, which also caused a big stir in the U.S. Um, and are legendary in the horror community. <laughs> um, and there's all these, like, you know, stories of how they were made. And, you know, most of them are just for hype. Um, but a lot of adult material as well. Um, and so then in 1984, Parliament passed a separate law that required... Um, videos to be put under the same rating system. The only problem is that that Video Recordings Act meant that there was a stricter rating system on videos than there was on films. And that meant that a lot of stuff that was able to be put on film 
had to be re-edited to be allowed to be put on video. And it was a real mess for a long time. And it wasn't until, like, I don't know, the early 2000s or something that they finally were able to get another act through Parliament that was like, once you're rated on film, you're, that rating stands for when you're put out on, like, home release. So, yeah, it, it was... It was a real mess for a long time because of this weird loophole in British law about the rating system. Um, and this uh, episode that we're talking about comes out in January of 85 when this whole system has just been passed. It's not yet fully enacted People don't know which way it's going to land. There's still all this nonsense about, well, now we can't put films that are already out on video because they're getting new ratings and stuff. And, you know, so it's it's just absolute anarchy in the UK. Ha ha ha. But <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, and you've got this woman named. Mary Whitehouse, who's we've talked about before, still going around screaming about, you know, the moral indecency of BBC programming, uh, including Doctor Who, which was one of her favorite targets at the time. It, it was, uh, this was BBC, or the creators, producers of Doctor Who at the time, trying to get their own back i guess and say something moral uh, about the like hey we are we are also concerned about violence on children's television and we're going to prove that by putting out what everybody considers one of the most violent episodes <laughs> of doctor who in the classic era but also the episode on some level is kind of a commentary on doctor who itself how you know Oh, it's a monster. No, it's just a couple of lights in a dark room. Have we gone down this this hallway before? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting commentary on you know, maybe you're making too much out of this in a very interesting way. Yeah, so let's let's pick up where we left off and that would have been uh the regeneration of Peter Davidson into Colin Baker. And really, that's all we need to do, because this is just a few episodes later. So Perry is still here. We still have Nicola Bryant's very questionable American accent. And very low-cut tops and all. And booty shorts. And booty shorts now, yeah, yeah, she's she's got the booty shorts on. Because, cause as we mentioned in, in our last Doctor Who episode, uh, she's there for the dads. She's there for the older fans to, to uh, not sound perverted, but she's there to ogle at because she's an attractive woman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we mentioned it last time, but this is where they got the idea for a lot of Rose's clothing when she came in with the Ninth Doctor. Yep. So... 
also we have a we have a bit of a different thing because this season they they tried to do something a little bit different in that we are no longer dealing with half hour long episodes this season introduces an hour long format which you think they try to condense the doctor who stories oh no this is just a slow paced it's just a 30 minute episode kind of stretched to 44 minutes well, I gotta say, I'm liking this format better, because this is a two-part episode. It's a longer individual episode, but it's a two-parter, and honestly, isn't this kind of what we were saying we wanted in the in most of the other episodes? Yeah, and, and, and they would, granted, they this did not, this was not popular at the era. This is what led to lower ratings, because I guess the audience for 22 years had been conditioned <laughs> To half-hour Doctor Who episodes, who all of a sudden have hour-long episodes. I guess they just didn't plan for that. And hey, uh, hey, hey, guys! When you when you go back and binge them, y- yeah, you're you're gonna realize that this what this was the better move. I mean, it's what they use now. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying, like, it's it's probably less egregious if you're coming home, throwing it on for thirty minutes. And then wandering off and doing the dishes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you have to sit there and binge that entire storyline for like three hours or whatever we were doing with those like six episode ones. Yeah. It is it is brutal in in the looking back, you know? Yeah. It's it's like when you're when you're reading dickens or something and you have to read it as a novel now and you're like oh why why is every chapter starting with three paragraphs of reminding you what happened in the chapter you just read and then you remembered that one he was paid by the word and two these were serialized in like monthly installments in some magazine or newspaper or whatever so you had to get the readers back up to speed on what they read like a month ago or bring in new readers who missed the last chapter or whatever you know and when you sit there and read it as a novel you're like oh my goodness just cut this out and some of them do you know some of them edit for like clarity and and stuff like that watching old doctor who is very much like that it's like i don't need this recap i just watched this yeah when each episode replays the last five minutes of the previous episode yeah you kind of want it to be like oh please please edit this out there are some that do i mean there was a point at least when when doctor who was originally airing on pbs in america that they would edit these into a movie format, editing editing out the uh, the previously on and the credits, so it kind of flows more. It's one in one viewing. And then the purists were like, "No, that's not how you watch Doctor Who." And then it's like, "Oh, shut up!" Yeah, these I, are I, better. Trust me, these are better. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad on the season Blu-ray sets they give you that option. <laughs> yeah, that is true. So, where are we? We are in deep space because the TARDIS is borked. I don't think the TARDIS is borked. I think the TARDIS is just bored. The TARDIS is like, you know what? I'm going to take a nap. We're stopping here for a bit. 
This is a nice, quiet part of space. There's nothing. They're in deep space. They can't move. They can't do anything. They're trying to figure out what's wrong. We get, we get the, I don't know if this is the first appearance of it, but I would think that the TARDIS manual would be bigger than that. Because Perry finds the TARDIS manual to try to figure out what's wrong with the TARDIS. And the doctor says, well, you know, I don't need the man. I've, I've read through that hundreds of times. I already know what's wrong with the with the machine. With, and you with know the, he's a liar. He's never read that manual. Yeah, there is no version of the the doctor that has ever read the TARDIS manual. Susan, maybe Susan read the TARDIS manual. She seems like the type. <laughs> she needs a light read every now and then. <laughs> yeah, but the doctor has never read that manual. I would I would bet money on it. So they figure out that in order to get the doohickey to do the what's-its, they need a special element that can only be found on one planet. So, off to that planet we're going. That is like 20 minutes of the Doctor and Perry standing around doing nothing. Yeah. Before they figure out, oh, we need to find, we need to go to the planet to get the thing to make the doohickey do the what's-its. Classic Doctor Who. (laughs) We're eating up time, ladies and gentlemen, and all in between. <laughs> they are, they are, oh, they're so, so much of this episode is eating up time. But just as we've got Perry there for everyone who wants to ogle women, we, we've got some eye candy for everybody who wants to ogle them some men in this one. Yeah, we got a shirtless man getting tortured for entertainment purposes because this is being broadcast on television on on Veros. And it's not just any man. This is the shirtless son of Sean Connery. Oh. Yes, this is Jason Connery. (laughs) Uh, And uh, he, we will find out later, is the uh, leader of some group of rebels that is t- trying to break free of this authoritarian government here on Veros, and him and his wife are trying to get away, but he's the current entertainment torture subject on Veros TV. So, yeah, the Ver- only form of entertainment on Veros. Yeah, the, the the only form of entertainment is torturing prisoners for people's entertainment. This is sort of a precursor to reality television because the audience at home gets to vote on things. And each television is equipped with a yes or no voting button. You get to vote on pretty much anything because the government of Veros simply has a governor and like there's no other there's no congress there's no parliament it's just a sitting governor and then he he dictates his plans to fix the problems of the planet and then the people get to decide do we go with it or if we don't uh an example in the show he talks about that there isn't enough money to get food rations for everybody so he makes the, he asks the people would you rather lower your food rations and have food for later, or would you have a full meal now and potentially starve tomorrow? And the 
planet unanimously votes, we eat now. That is a problem for future me. Yeah, and the thing is, is that the prisoners are not the only one tortured. The governor is also tortured if the vote does not go his way. And depending on how strong the governor is in mind and body, uh, that tells you how many votes he can eventually lose before he finally gives up and dies. We get these two characters that really do nothing in this show that are just watching the television. Our, our look at Verosian society, these two, I assume, husband and wife that have varying different political views. Okay, I want to just stop right now because th- this this is something that will only make sense to any listeners who are either English or are up on, like, British TV or whatever. Doctor Who predicted Gogglebox, and we need to be respectful of that, or either terrified of that, depending on how much you enjoy the idea of Gogglebox. (laughs) And for those in the American audience who don't understand the reference, there is a reality TV show in the UK, which I don't know if it's still going on, um, but it's called Gogglebox, and all it is is you watch people watching TV. It's kind of like talk soup, except instead of a comedian making jokes about things, it's just normal people. MST3K without the professional comedy? Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's really more like a like a reaction YouTuber or Twitch streamer. Without the comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean it. It, it really is like there's just no com- like I mean the comedy value is just watching other people occasionally make funny comments accidentally. Like they're not intentionally trying to be humorous, but sometimes they are. But it's just they pull normal. The everyday average people mm. like they're not celebrities they're not professional comedians or anything it's just supposed to be a random sampling of the British public and what they think about television and then they show them clips from television and they like edit the most unintentionally funny bits so. so they just put cameras in their house and they record them watching television and then they edit it together into whatever happens to be interesting so yeah, the the husband and wife, I assume, have varying different political views. One is very pro the current governor, and one is very anti the current governor. In fact, the husband is cheering on the presumed death of this governor. Yeah, and the wife is cheering on the... Well, the husband is just... I don't really think he's anti the governor so much as he's just very pro-death. Like, he wants to see the death of the rebel, and, you know, when the Doctor and Perry get mixed up in it, he's he's very much like, yeah, you know, whatever happens to them, I'll be happy to see it. He just wants to see violence. He does make a comment that there hasn't been a good, decent execution on television for a while. Yeah, so he, he just seems very bloodthirsty. Hmm. And I'm, I think he's kind of just apolitical. He just wants to, like, go to work, come home, eat a meal, 
and see someone and, die <laughs> and see somebody die on television like he's he's very much the bread and circuses kind of guy um so i don't think he's very political about it the wife is very much pro the government she's doing her reports she's following the rules She's very, you know, like he she's constantly willing. wants to break the rules because yeah. it's easier for him. She's willing to throw her husband under the bus for breaking the rules. Say, hey, voting is mandatory. If you don't vote, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna tell on you. And later in the move, later in the episode where he uses her voting box, he says, "What you did is illegal. I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell them that you use my voting box. That's illegal." Even though she knows it could get him killed. Yeah. Yeah. And she's very dutifully filling out these, like, long reports that we, as the audience, know, and obviously her husband knows as well, they don't mean anything, they don't do anything, they don't serve any purpose. But she's sitting there dutifully, and we know that she's, like, telling on her husband, because he asks, like, am I in the report? And then he gets scared, because he knows that if she tells on him... He could be the next one on the TV. Mm -hmm. You know. So. She's very much. A supporter of the system. Even though she admits. This governor is the worst governor. Since the last governor. And the governor before. Him. She admits that all the rulers. Are exactly the same. And but we find out why. Yeah, we'll, we'll skip ahead here. How the governors are chosen is very odd. So when a governor dies, they take the 12 highest ranking officials in their military, government, whatever, and just draw a name. Whatever name is drawn, you're the new governor. And the governor says that you just do whatever you can to placate the people enough to prolong your own life yeah being a governor they know this is a death sentence it's just how long can you stay the execution and even the governor in this in this story says the the things that need to be done to make this planet a better place are not popular decisions so anyone that 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 uh, announces these ideas are going to die because the government, the the, the, the the people pe will vote against it. Yeah, the even if it is in their own best interests. I mean, we've got people that will vote against their own best in interests because it slightly inconveniences them. Who says Doctor Who isn't political? Yeah, um, and there's no way because everything is up to the immediate public vote and you die if it doesn't go your way immediately and the only way to convince people is a very short like 20-30 second speech um, and they can start voting at any time then there's there's never any way of convincing people but the thing is is that you see that the the rebel leader um played by Jason Connery he thinks that he's discovered 
that the people in charge, like the the governor and whatever, live in luxury while the rest of them starve. And we find out that that's kind of only partially true because they do get more food and they do get slightly more luxurious quarters, but they're under constant threat of death because as soon as the governor dies, their name is in the pot to be the next governor. And it's just voting in torture until they die. Uh, in fact, the one guy, there's there's the subplot where one of the guards is helping him and he, the, the wife of the rebel leader, um, Aretta, who is, becomes friends with Perry over the course of the story, she asks this officer guy like hey didn't you used to be on our side what what happened and he was like well circumstances change and you find out over the course of the story he's now one of the people in line to become governor and so now he's just as scared as everybody else because he's moved up in the line mm-hmm. into this like it's not just about like oh I can escape or I can he now knows that it's not true that like what the rebels are fighting for is is not actually true. And it turns out that like all of them are on this weird prison planet. That's another that, uh, that got forgotten about, and it's just this perpetual prison state that's just kind of accidentally been left there. <laughs> An entire planet that originally started as a prison colony. I'm sure there's a nation that's di- that's that started as a prison colony, and was still under the rules and regulations of their prisoners. Which, mm, Australia? <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, is that there's also, you know, the. The big thing about this episode is it ends up being the the way the doctor ends up freeing the planet is not the typical way that most of these stories go and it's really the only interesting twist in this story because normally the story would have the doctor and the companion end up on a planet where there's an authoritarian government and a group of rebels, and then the doctor just has to help the rebels. But it turns out that the thing the rebels are fighting for is not actually true because they just want to take over the government. But the problem is, is that there's, there's no real government to take over because the planet is kind of stuck in a closed loop. But it turns out that there's this one guy that's actually there as a representative of a mining corporation from off-world that has been saying, like, well, you've got this ore. If you want, I'll buy this worthless ore from you. 
And it'll help you buy like a little bit of food rations, but you know, mostly the ore is worthless and I'm being really nice to you from buying it. When the doctor Prima says my ship runs on this ore, this ore is very precious. This was this ore is worth a lot. It's worth a lot more than this than the, this creature Sill is paying you. And the moment you guys realize that, you'll you know your whole system will change. And it does. In fact, Sill is so so hell bent on getting this ore that he's willing to call his own government to invade the planet just to get this ore. That that's how much he need his people need it. Yeah, and it turns out that the uh, the government of Sill's planet is like, you know, that's that's like a lot of military expense and time and stuff. We're actually just floating in cash up here. Why don't you just pay them more money? <laughs> and that gives his whole game away because it's intercepted by the governor of the <laughs> of Veros. And it proves that the doctor's telling the truth. The doctor realizes that he's he has the government's trust when they decide to turn off the cameras before his execution. Yeah. If it was a real execution, you would broadcast that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it turns out that the other thing they start exporting is the recordings of the executions. Because it turns out that there are other planets who want to see that sort of brutality as entertainment. Including Sill's planet, you know, wherever he's from. There, uh, which is which is another bit of commentary, you know. I gotta say, for the pro for you know all the issues in this episode, I will say this probably has one of the best cliffhanger endings in classic Doctor Who, because they had, a lot of the traps are just illusions, uh, illusions that alter the mind. So they there's the part where the Doctor. They turn up the heat in the area. They put a projection of a desert. So the doctor believes that he is in a desert and he is, you know, he's part. He's, he's out of water and he is about to die of thirst. And yeah. yeah. And then you hear the, the governor and we're going to cut in three, two, one. Doo -doo 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 -doo. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really cool a uh, way to bring what's going on in the show with the kind of meta thing on the outside of the show which is yeah. great because they're they're waiting for the exact moment of death and the tension building and everything and then of course it's the exact same thing that the audience on Veros and the audience at home are are kind of the same audience at that yeah. that moment but then of course part 2 starts with what most people consider one of the most horrible things in classic who and what a lot of people have their big complaint about colin baker's doctor that it, a, a undoctor like act so when when anyone is killed on this planet they dispose of the body by dropping the body in acid saves on burial i suppose so they've dumped one body into the into the acid, and they're about to drop the doctor's body, but he, it turns out he's been playing possum. He's not actually dead. The, he just sits up like the Undertaker, and that seemingly scares one of the guards 
to fall into this pool of acid. And then the other guard is trying to fight the doctor. He's using the gurney as a shield. Now, many people have complained that the doctor actually pushes the guard into the, into the pool of acid. But if you actually pay attention, you see the first guard actually reach up, grab the other guard, and pull him in. But for a long time, people were complaining that the doctor basically murdered someone in a very undoctor-like act. Yeah, the the thing is, is that the the doctor does not try to save the guard because what happens is the first guard tries to get out of the acid, basically by trying to reach up and grab the first guard. And because that guard is trying to fight the doctor, he's off balance and falls back into the, you know. Um, Of course, it's Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who fight choreography, so it basically just looks like the other guy pulls him in because they don't really work on the fight choreography. They're just like, uh, hey, we need you to fall into that, and uh, but the other guy will grab you when it's time to fall in, so, you know. Um, what what really gets people though is this very undoctor like action movie quote that the doctor uses after both of them fall into the pool of acid. He grabs his coat, looks at the two disintegrating people in this acid, and says, "Forgive me if I don't join you." Yeah, it's much more of a James Bond line than it than it is a Doctor Who line, you know. And you really want the the doctor to be shocked by the gruesomeness or attempt to help or, you know, like in the David Tennant era, that would be an I'm sorry, I'm so sorry line. Yeah. You know, that would have been a fighting to try to keep the the second guy alive or something, you know, the very smug look and that one liner. Yeah, he's like, uh, well, that's what you get for trying to dunk me in acid. Ha ha, you know. And I get it, like, okay, they're they're part of this, like, horrible authoritarian government, and they're probably responsible in some way for the deaths of who knows how many people. But at the same time, they're sentient beings, you know? They're still people. Yeah, they're still people there. And, um, it's... It's not a good look, you know. Mm. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that that really bothered me too when I was watching this episode. I was like, oh yeah, no, I do, I do not want my doctor to 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 do or say things like that. You That's know, I like- want him to realize what's like. Yes, you will fight for your life or to save the lives of others, and sometimes death occurs in that situation. But if you have the opportunity to save a life you generally will like that's that's the doctor there's this weird story there's this weird beat where there where the wife the rebellion uh rebellion leader's wife and perry are captured and they get turned into animal hybrids which goes nowhere it is a very strange side project because uh, they wanted to have a mad scientist plot in the middle of this and I don't think it was necessary no it's just, it, it's just wasting time yeah it, it is it is just filling up time and his thing was that he was 
you know, the mad scientist was experimenting on people and turning them into creatures that would dig or faster, you know, because they are a mine. They're, they're a mining colony. And so they would change people into animal hybrids that could dig or move or faster. Because apparently that was better than creating machines that would do that. Like, you know, I mean, m moles are really efficient diggers, but what's even a more efficient digger than that is a drill, you know? Yeah. So, um, I, I don't really know why he was doing that other than I am a mad scientist in a sci-fi show. But, yeah, and then the the doctor kind of comes in to free them and he's like, you know, give us the antidote for whatever you've done. And he's like, oh yeah, there is no antidote. It's just all in their minds. They just have to be worthy of being human again. And we get a thing that we've seen other doctors do as yes, the doctor is brandishing a gun and he is pointing it to someone in a very threatening way. But but he does do something we've seen other doctors do is take the gun and shoot the machine. To destroy it. I mean, David Tennant's doctor did that in his very last episode. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Like, you know, as long as the machine isn't sentient, it's, it's, he's kind of like, well, you know, it's, it's just machinery. Let's blow it up. Yeah, because, you know, he, uh, the mad scientist says, hey, pick a switch, see if it'll turn it off. And then the, the rebel leader says, which button is it, doctor? Which button is it? All of them. Bring, 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 bring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's blow it up and hope for the best. And it works. They, they're able to get there and they try to rem remind, you know, the doctor says, you know, remind them of who they used to be and they'll turn back to who they used to be. You're Perry. You're Perry Brown. You're my friend. Perry? Yes, I'm Perry. Who are you? <laughs> I'm yeah. the doctor. Doctor. Yes, the doctor. And I love the other guy, instead of being like, you know, you're my wife, we've been together, we have children, or whatever, he's just like, wake up, we gotta go. <laughs> it's like, no, you don't get any characterization. You just get me yelling at you that we need to run. We'll worry about your mental sanity later. And we get another, you know... Let's take the mask off the mad scientist to reveal a grotesque face like we had in the last Doctor Who episode we talked about. Yeah, that, that the whole thing is pointless, and it's just, I think they just wanted to, to glue feathers on Nicola Bryant. Like, it's just, okay. And, yeah. and they have this weird little line about, like, well, they turn into what other, whatever animal they they feel is like d deep inside them because they don't feel worthy of being a human anymore. So I guess she wants to fly away from all of her problems like a bird. And I'm like, okay, thanks, Dr. Freud. Like, go, go away. What? What is this? This is so stupid. And yes, it, this does for even though it is an hour long episode, it's still pacing itself like it's two half hour episodes, which is annoying because characters will constantly escape and get captured and escape and get captured and, get, and escape and get captured. Ugh, it is annoying. And then there, there is the weird death by tendril later where it's like it's just like 
toss some leftover vines from the set decoration department. Uh, yeah, they see a dead body and they f- see this rash on their neck and they didn't know they don't know where it comes from. Turns out there are these vines that are growing in the <laughs> in the air ducts of this place that if it touches you, you will die. And the doctors immediately like move through them and don't let the tendrils touch you. And then they make the guards get hit with the tendrils or something. And like, I don't know. It's like poison ivy, something like that, Perry. Sure. It's not like that at all in any way, shape or form. But don't you worry your pretty little head about it. The outfits they have for the Verosian guards are, mm, yeah, it's black and red, and yeah, you know what the symbolism it's, it's, is. It's fascist chic, you, you yeah. know it. Yeah, so there's one bald guy that's kind of Sills Pinchman. Pick me, yeah. I would say pick <laughs> yeah. me. He Sills pick me, that he's trying to, because he wants to be the governor, and so he can work with Sill, and they can have all the money and all the power together and screw the populace. I mean, does he not realize how governor on this planet works? Everybody else seems to, like, nobody else wants to be governor except for this one guy. And I guess he just doesn't realize how it works. Like, I think it's more of he's just going to give the people whatever they want, regardless. Like, the people want an execution today. Oh, fine, we'll execute somebody. The people want this. Okay, I'll say whatever they want to say and I'll do whatever I want anyway. You know, like a politician does. The people want cake every day. Fine, I'll give them that. Oh, wait, this planet doesn't have cake. Like, you know? He makes the speech, this bald guy makes the speech saying, hey, our governor is weak. Our governor hasn't done anything for us. We're going to have one last vote. And you are going to vote whether the governor lives or dies. The governor even says, there's nothing I can say that will change your mind about me either way. So just do whatever you feel is right. And Perry's right there. What can I do? Nothing. It's not your call. Uh, obviously, the, the, the boat's off or no, and he's trying to die. And this is where the other, the other guard we talked about kind of had this change of heart and shoots the laser that's, that's killing him. And they try to make their escape. And again, they escape. They get captured. They escape. They get captured. They escape. They get captured because this is still a classic Doctor Who episode. And then we end up at the scene where everybody thought it was also a little much for Doctor Who, which is that they try to execute the Doctor and uh, Jason Connery by hanging them. Like, they just have a gallows. It's it's not anything sci-fi or weird or anything. It just, it's a gallows. And they actually do end up pulling the lever, but the other end of the rope is not connected to anything so they just fall through and you know it it doesn't actually do anything except just drop them through the floor and they're fine yeah but it was all for show for the the little you know worm alien that runs the that works for the the mining corporation or whatever and it was just to get him to give up his his side of things where he was like, no, if you won't buy the ore from me, I'll invade your planet. Ha ha ha. And we've already revealed how how that goes. Yeah. That That's how the doctor is able to prove to them that, you know, they're 
they're being, you know, taken advantage of by these outside forces. And the governor is like, hey, you know, you've you've proven to us that we actually have a very valuable mineral. We're we're going to start negotiating with multiple people. They never really tell how, like, this one wormy guy, and I say that because he's literally like a space worm. I mean, he yeah. he, he does come back in the trial of a time lord but that's a different story for a different day yeah but i mean they never really tell how like this planet fell under the i i kind of i kind of have like a weird little idea maybe they told in a different part of doctor who canon somewhere how this planet came to be or whatever but, I mean, they do say that it was a prison planet and then it was just kind of forgotten about or something and evolved into this state basically using the tools the prison colony used and it just kept going. I kind of wonder if, like, they didn't... Uh, like the Sills people didn't like find this planet and whoever ended up in charge was one of the like insane people that got sent there. Who knows? <laughs> and they were like, ah, we can control these people, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they just kind of kept them perpetually imprisoned. Because they didn't really seem to have any, like, except for the the governor and the, the top people, it didn't seem like anybody had, like, an outside line to the rest of the universe. Like, they seemed to, to know, the, the governor and them seemed to know that there were other planets, but they didn't seem to communicate with them, you know? Mm. So I kind of think that that one corporation was just maybe keeping them imprisoned keeping them in the dark of everything you know how much their mineral is really worth and how many mining companies are in the universe and whatnot at the end of all of this the governor makes one final ruling that there'll be no more executions and basically trying to have a more fair and balanced society versus what they had before, now that they're in communication with uh, other worlds and other civilizations and other companies to sell their ore to. Yeah, I mean, you're left with the, the idea that there's going to be an, a new system and that the governor and that the rebellion leader are going to work together to build a new system of the yeah, back government in, or something, you know. Back in our TV watching family, the husband seems very depressed that there'd be no more executions on television while the wife is saying we're free. We're finally free from all of this. Are we though? I think so. <laughs> and you just hear static in the background as the, the TV goes off, you know. And yeah, yeah, that's that's Vengeance on Veros, the second story of season 22 of Doctor Who. Oh, 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 but the story really doesn't end there, at least 
for the show itself. We need we now need to talk about the head of the BBC at the time, a man named Michael Grade. Michael Grade had just become the head of the BBC and he did not like Doctor Who. He is one of those people that felt that Doctor Who was past its prime. It's been on the show for 22 it's been on the air for 22 years. It's time for something else. Also, he really wasn't a fan of science fiction in general, and he really wasn't a fan of of things that wasn't making money as as everything we said before during Colin Baker's run was when Doctor Who had its lowest ratings. And it was and that will seem to be enough to justify to grade that maybe it's time to pull the plug on Doctor Who. So at the end of season 22, it was announced that Doctor Who would be canceled. There'd be no more show, no more nothing. And then all the doc, all the Whovians came. He said, like hell there is. You're going to bring back Doctor Who. We will not stand for you canceling our show. So Gray grossly underestimated the number of Whovians that still wanted this show to continue. Which uh, leads us to a song that came out to try to get more attention and send to the BBC that Doctor Who should stay on the air. A little song called Doctor in Distress. Which featured Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant singing on the track. Nicola Bryant singing in her American accent. Do they know it's Christmas? This ain't. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure that this song is is what eventually led to the actual cancellation of Doctor Who. <laughs> no offense to Colin Baker, good actor. He's not a singer. But uh, eventually a compromise was made. Doctor Who would be off the air for 18 months to allow for a retooling of the show, as well as allowing new projects to be airing on the BBC. 18 months later, season 23 comes and we get the Trial of a Time Lord, which um, also did not really uh, set the world on fire. It had, it had some cool moments. It had a nice little... Uh, Doctor speech from from Colin Baker, but it wasn't enough to save the show. And after Trial of a Time Lord, ugh, Perry's uh, exit during Trial of a Time Lord was a huge disservice. I don't even want to talk about it. Bald and having her mind wiped, and maybe she married a king, and I don't even know. We get the new companion, Mel, Mel Bush. Who has no introduction. She's just, hey, here's a companion from your future. Her name is Mel. And now she's here now. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. They were willing to bring back Doctor Who after Trial of the Time Lord. And another year-long break. Under one condition. Fire Colin Baker. Because apparently. All of the problems of Doctor Who they wanted to blame on Colin Baker. To the point where they had several Doctor Who fans. Yes, there was a show called Open Air on the BBC. 
and they had a bunch of Doctor Who fans on there to voice their concerns about the series, their disappointments. Their, you know, they didn't like Colin Baker. They didn't like the scripts. They didn't like anything. One of the fans on this show was a young man by the name of Chris Chibnall. Yep. And young Chris Chibnall said that he didn't like the way the doctor that Doctor Who was going. That it was it was ridiculous storylines, ridiculous scripts, ridiculous monsters, and all in all, a very, very bad show. And he didn't like that there were people writing ridiculous scripts and ridiculous monsters. He wanted to be the man writing ridiculous scripts and ridiculous monsters. I was going to say, because those words ended up biting Chibnall in the ass. <laughs> Not quickly enough, because, man, the Torchwood fandom absolutely hated Chris Chibnall. We wanted him as far away from anything related to Doctor Who as we could get him. And then they put him in charge of the whole freaking thing. Which, but we'll get to that later. I'm just saying, all of the complaints that Chris Chibnall had about Colin Baker's run as the Doctor, you can put towards Jodie Whittaker's run. And, and it was no, we will. And it was no fault of either actor. And this is why I kind of wanted to do an audio adventure, because my own opinion, your opinion may differ... The television show did not allow Colin Baker to ever reach his full potential as the Doctor. My opinion. It was saved by these audio dramas. And I've listened to several of Colin Baker's audio dramas, and they're wonderful. And they really get it, and it allows Colin Baker to reach his full potential as the Doctor. And it definitely save and now now in 2023 colin baker is considered to for many for many to be their favorite doctor because of those audio adventures which makes which makes me cross my fingers that hopefully jody whittaker will get a chance to do the same yeah and the thing is is that like you know i've said it before in, in other episodes and i'll repeat it here there is a hierarchy of who is to blame when something goes wrong in film or television. And it is many, many, many steps down before it gets to blaming an actor. And pretty much you have to look at something and go like, wow, everything else worked on this. And then there's just like one really bad actor. You know? Yeah. But if you're looking at something and going like the story was horrible and the directing was horrible and the sets were garbage and the, you know, the writing was bad and, the, you know, like, and the actor was also bad, then it's like, well, then it's not the actor, you know? Like, <laughs> so, you know, it it's obviously something went wrong way at the very tippy top and it just kind of filtered down at that point. Um, I mean, there were already even then there were people calling for JNT's head. So and he was the showrunner. So Buck stopped at the top. Yeah. But, um, yeah. As for yeah, they fired Colin Baker. They called him up. They fired him, and they offered him the opportunity to come in and film the regeneration scene for season twenty four. 
he counteroffered saying, hey, can I at least get the first story to at least have one last story, one final adventure to, to properly write out this character? And they said, no, we just want you to come in and film the first five minutes of the episode for the regeneration and then you can saw it off. And he told him to go to hell. I don't blame him. Yeah. So what we get is in the first part, five minutes of Time in the Ronnie, season 24 opener, is Sylvester McCoy in a bad wig, bumping his head off the TARDIS, and then regenerating into Sylvester McCoy. Which, honestly, is sadly more than Sylvester McCoy got on the other end. We'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I I, I kind of I'm not blaming Sylvester McCoy for it, but it's a kind of what goes around comes around, you know. Yeah. So the next time we talk about Doctor Who, it will be the eight, the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, and the final Doctor of the classic series. But you know, I'm I'm gonna say, despite all the problems, this is a better episode than some of the ones we watched. Yeah. I, 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 it is, and I think the 45-minute the, the format helped matters. Yeah, but, it really did. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, they were, they were in a weird time for science fiction. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a weird time for Doctor Who. It was a weird time for science fiction. Especially when you have the competition coming from American imports. Not only are we talking Star Wars and E.T. and Close Encounters, but we're also talking about television shows like V and Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, this was also around the time when you start having stuff like Red Dwarf showing up Mm -hmm. in the U.K. So, I mean, it's... It's right about the time when you start getting the BBC itself kind of mocking (laughs) stuff like Doctor Who, you know? You know, you've got the people who grew up with Doctor Who. They're they're getting older. And I'm not sure that a lot of them are quite in the age yet that they're starting to have kids to pass it on to. 22 years, if you're... I mean, they they are, but this is the, the generation that's starting to have kids just slightly later, you know? Mm-hmm. And so even the ones that are having kids are... Maybe their kids are not quite old enough to really be in that sweet spot for Doctor Who yet. Um, maybe the kids that are being born into that generation are wanting different things and are not grasping Doctor Who because Doctor Who when it aired was such a different thing Mm -hmm. it was such a new and different thing and it was unlike anything else that was on TV right at that time so if you wanted something like Doctor Who, all you had was Doctor Who. Whereas, you know, by like 85, 86, if you wanted something like Doctor Who, you had options. Yeah. And in some respects, I hate to say it, you had slicker 
better produced, more thoughtful options than what Doctor Who was giving you at the time. And it says a lot because the head of the BBC is calling this show garbage and saying that why are you not like these other things while at the same time not doing anything to give them the money to compete. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I hate to say it, but just a few years before this, they're having some of the best writers in science fiction gravitating toward writing scripts for Doctor Who. And then now they're not because they're not. They're doing their own thing. Yeah, they're they're getting better offers elsewhere. Yeah. So, you know, obviously there's there's been a breakdown at some point. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, Terry Nation at this point is already doing has already done Blake Seven and like you said Red Dwarf was was already on. So there there, there was You know, D- Douglas Adams has Hitchhiker's already Guide. found found his niche elsewhere. Yeah. You know, and it's a little too early for them to have I mean you know by by this point like yeah your your Neil Gaiman's and stuff are getting into the writing biz but they're not they're not you know I'm I'm sure that that Neil Gaiman in the mid mid 80s would have loved to have submitted scripts for Doctor Who but I I'm just not sure they would have, you know. And like we said, Chris Chibnall's a, a teenager. And Chris Chibnall's a teenager. Yeah, and Chris Chibnall's a teenager who wouldn't be there for another few years. And by that that point, you know, he's he's not. Uh, there's not going to be a place for him to submit a script. And also, maybe Chris Chibnall should have never been allowed to submit scripts for Doctor Who. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. A young, a <sighs> young, a, a young Russell T Davies is writing Doctor Who fan fiction. Trying to submit that as as is a young David Dennett. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he actually did submit a script. Yeah, was, I mean, he was just a kid, though. Some some of his Doctor Who fan fiction is in the DVD sets. Yeah. Uh, One of them became an audio adventure. Yeah, but um, I mean, I'm I'm sure Peter Capaldi was out there writing Doctor Who fanfic too. We've just I don't think we've ever read it. So he was he already doing. He was already doing other stuff. He was already. Active. Yeah, no, he was off playing in a punk band in <laughs> Scotland somewhere. I think at this point, but <laughs> the um, you know, there were there were there were people out there who they they probably could have gotten of um, you know, big, bigger name at the time. You know that people would have recognized, but they probably just weren't willing to pay the price point mm-hmm. you know we talked about how previous showrunners wanted to get you know bigger names and and such in the guest thing and not to discount i mean this episode had quite a guest cast and we didn't really get into it um but like martin jarvis who played the governor had has an incredible career um but you know they just weren't throwing the the, the money. money at it and i get that this was like 
Britain in the 80s and the the money just wasn't super there. But, you know, they, they could have done a, a little something more. If they wanted to give this show the money they 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 needed, they would have. It's just the head of the BBC wanted the show dead. Yeah, which is a shame because, as as we see now, this is still one of the cultural linchpins of the the BBC. As for next week. It is Pride Month, and we have decided that our Pride Month episode is going to be about The Owl House. It is a show that has been suggested to us for a while, and since June is Pride Month, why not? Yeah, it has been called one of the gayest things to have ever been made for the Disney Channel. So as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, as a compliment. Um and so uh, we're we're going to look at a show that everybody has called very groundbreaking on that front. Um, in a world of Disney gays, let's talk about a show that actually put a uh, bisexual character up front and in the main character position. So, so yeah, come back for that as we enter the Owl House. And we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at aclu.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area. Is that uh, good or do, you, or do you want to do a third round? I think we can do, a, do, do that and you can piece it together from the two. All right, that sounds good. Let's let's stop the recording.